This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Abishai Artsy. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, a handful of galleries in downtown LA's Chinatown neighborhood opened amid souvenir shops and restaurants. They had names adopted from previous businesses like China Art Objects and Black Dragon Society. The galleries hosted parties and concerts. A UCLA painting professor, Roger Herman, was a big part of this DIY-inspired community, and many of his students were drawn in as well. There was just so much talent and ambition and weirdness in one little spot at the same moment, and it was just awesome. There was so much momentum and energy around that scene and that community, and it just felt like, um, you know, like anything was possible and everything you made was like, you know, valid. Nobody expected to have any sort of success in any way whatsoever. We were all just fucking doing stuff, you know, and that to me is what art is all about. Now, a salon-style exhibition, Via Cafe, relives that heady time. It draws together work from about three dozen old friends and UCLA alumni on one wall of a gallery in a small town in Georgia. The gallery owner is Tiff Siegfrieds. She's a Milwaukee native, her family moved to Ohio, and she started taking classes at the University of Cincinnati until she dropped out and moved to LA to make a movie. But she also lined up an internship at China Art Objects was like easy to meet everybody really fast. And, and at that point I decided like, I wasn't, there was no way I could go back to Ohio. And so I applied to transfer to UCLA to the art school. And I, I guess I had known Roger and a number of people who had either went there for grad school or maybe taught their adjunct. So. But was that one of the unifying factors among the art scene in Chinatown is that a lot of those people were UCLA art students or grads? I would say so. I mean, I guess, you know, that's not to say that there weren't people from CalArts and from Art Center. I actually worked while I was a student at UCLA. I worked in the library at Art Center. So it was really as if I was in like two art schools at the same time. But um, I think because of this gallery, Black Dragon Society that Roger started, there was a very UCLA centric feeling. And also I, um, when I was interning at China Art Objects, John Plipchuk was, he was one of their big artists that they were working with and he had just finished UCLA grad school. So there there was an abundance of people who had come from UCLA. What was the Chinatown art scene like in the early 2000s? well, it, it's funny talking about it now in the midst of COVID, it just sounds like total utopia that on the street, there were all these galleries. And then there were also like, it was cheap enough that artists had their studios there as well. And then there was a bar that everybody went to at night. So it was like this real small, close-knit place where, you know, you just walk down the street and see all these people that you know. And then when there were openings, it was just crazy. Like everybody would come and yeah, I don't know. I guess it was very impressive to me as a 19 or 20 year old because it felt like like I had no idea that being an artist was like a real thing, you know, that something like something that people did and made a living doing. And all the people who were running the galleries also even though they were older than me, they struck me as very young or youthful in their energy. And so it just felt like this kind of like strange world that everybody'd made up for themselves and then 
for some reason, the larger world outside took them seriously. After graduating from UCLA in 2005, Siegfried spent a few years as a musician and was the director of Thomas Solomon Gallery in Chinatown before starting her own storefront gallery in Hollywood. She developed a reputation for offbeat shows. The first show that I did was a show with an artist, Joe Sola, who's an L.A.-based performance artist. And it was a show of paintings in my ear, so there was no work in the gallery. It was just this tiny show of these microscopic portrait paintings that he made, and you could look at them in my ear. And and that really set the tone for a lot of what the gallery in L.A. looked like, which it's not that I never did like a normal painting show or sculpture show, but... There was a lot of um, experimentation with the format of having the gallery itself. Like Joe and I have done a lot of projects over the years, like made videos together at art fairs or just, you know, I, I think I always, because maybe though I knew I didn't want to be an artist, I still have that background of having studied art. And so sometimes that instinct can come out in the way that I run the gallery or this kind of things that I want to do with it somehow. Like, I remember when I started the gallery, I started like getting all these like black suits and like really tried to like look as normal as possible so that there was like an even elevated sense of humor with the fact that, you know, I guess I tried to like, it almost felt like I was like playing the part of a gallerist. And then eventually it became very real, but maybe at first having the gallery felt a bit like a performance in and of itself somehow. After four years, she became fed up with Los Angeles's high rents and the frenetic pace of running a Hollywood gallery. When I was a teenager, I ran away from home to Athens as like a punk teen in the late 90s. And I always, I would come back and visit friends that I made. And I always had this fantasy of living in the South, but I guess in Athens, because it was the only place that I had really spent significant time. I grew up in the Midwest. And I came to the decision to move here when I found out I was pregnant with my second child and had sort of like felt like I was running a bit of a rat race in LA or just also kind of becoming disinterested in the landscape of like um, getting bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of having a gallery. Somehow um, just changing the context seemed more interesting to me. And maybe that was somewhat more important to me than um, just having like a big business or running a big business. Siegfried's gallery is in the town of Comer, about 25 minutes from Athens. She's showing via cafe alongside a solo exhibition of paintings and ceramics by longtime friend and fellow UCLA alumna Jasmine Little. That show is called Sphinx Riddle. Having a solo show that's in the same space as via is like really exciting to me because it's sort of like it puts it in context and in a dialogue with all these people that I really admire or look up to. The pandemic delayed the show by nearly a year. In that time, the pair reached out to friends and artists they knew from UCLA or their time in Chinatown and organized via cafe. Every single person that we asked to be in the show immediately was like, yes, I think this was just a good time for it because people are really lacking that connection. And so, and also maybe nostalgia is like all anybody has right now to like keep them optimistic that there's like a future that involves people. So so it was really easy to organize. I mean, logistically, not so much because all this work was coming from all these different places, but it was easy to organize in terms of like people being like excited to be in it. Yeah, there is like a sort of nostalgia in terms of thinking like, how did I get into this in the first place? And it really did all start at UCLA. 
Roger Herman is an emeritus professor of painting and drawing at UCLA. He co-founded Black Dragon Society in 1998. The sign for the former Kung Fu studio still hung above the door. Herman often brought his students to Chinatown. We would do field trips where we would go to Chinatown and look at all the galleries and we would get dim sum. So that was really fun when I was like, you know, 18 or 19. But yeah, I went to all the galleries and I became friends with a lot of those people. I ended up showing with um, this gallerist, Inmo, who was one of the first galleries on Chungking Road. And um, he ended up showing Roger as well. It was cool going to school in LA because there's so many art schools and such a big community and network of people. And then having that cluster of galleries in Chinatown, it just gave you a way to socialize with like all the different people from all the different schools and all the different artists in the community. There was so much momentum and energy around that scene and that community. And it just felt like, um, you know, like anything was possible and everything you made was like, you know, valid. There was a lot of like weird art being made and shown. And that's like kind of exciting. I feel like maybe the art world in LA has professionalized to some degree in the last like 15 years since then. And we're all older now, all the artists participating. So I think it is like a nostalgia about being sort of like freer and maybe less professionalized. The show recreates the salon-style display of Via Cafe, a Vietnamese restaurant owned by Duke Pham. Herman curated a rotating display of art on the Chinatown restaurant's walls. He included work by many of his UCLA students. He hung the work salon style. It was a nod to Paris Bar, the iconic Berlin restaurant, and its walls crowded with drawings and paintings. Herman wonders now whether his students were ready for the world of art commerce, or whether they should have been left alone to focus on developing their style. The whole idea of the Black Dragon was to just give them a platform. You know, they could organize their own shows. They could work in the in the basement and do shows, and uh, they had time to do it. There was no real pressure. Uh, it was kind of a a playground for them. It wasn't really a gallery. It was like a dream that I always thought I, I wished I had something like that where I could do uh, play around. You know, do things without the pressure of any kind of a market or what did I know because after a while it became a feeding frenzy for collectors and uh, it kind of lost its innocence you know yeah was it controversial at all that you were showing undergraduate work I I don't think it was openly controversial it just dawned on me later that maybe sometimes you stifle people in their development when you show them too early. It's like that, you know, what is it, Jack and the Beanstalk? Show your gold too early, <laughs> then it gets stolen. Uh, you you stop in your in your development, right? When you get praise and all of a sudden you think you're on top of the world, but you're only 20 years old, you know. And, uh, you know, you, you don't develop. You don't... It's something about innocence and... Artists are all in a perverse situation because it's, most of them are romantic and idealists and rebels. And at the same time, they serve a market that is uh, somewhat a very upper class market that takes, uh, you know, it, it starts as a game and then it becomes this uh, weird, uh, you know, it's a contradiction because we are also teaching them to be these open, experimental people 
And at the same time, they also look at us and say, well, how do I make uh, money uh, at the end of the day? You know, and a lot of them, thank God, became successful that we showed. Uh, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird contradiction. I mean, it's not just for them. It's basically for every artist, I think. A lot of it is accident. Like even the, the moment when we opened the gallery in 1998, I think, uh, and it lasted till 2008, those 10 years were sort of a moment when the art world was sort of in this feeding frenzy of young, fresh blood. And, and I remember also when these 20-year-olds didn't sell anything and some other ones sold a lot. It was an early schooling of of horrible frustration too. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not good. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for you know, success or not success either. You know, it's more... The, the moment in time was weird, you know, and and it was fun uh, until it became business and then it lost something, you know. It's like the apple, the apple was eaten and then it lost its innocence, <laughs> you know, something like that, I don't know. I mean, everybody had different goals. I mean, I think, and everybody has a legitimate goal. I mean, we were like just a bunch of... Uh, <laughs> do not, you know, then uh, it came, became kind of weird, like some artists were going to leave us because they thought we were not serious enough. And so then we had to up the game. And like, I remember one of the artists went to another bigger gallery and it was sort of a wake up call. And I thought, oh, shit, what do we what do we do now? Do we have to compete now? Do we have to do more? Do You know, like it's like a game. It's like it's not enough to just have a bakery you have to have a chain, right? Like some friend today told me, oh, you cannot be successful unless you have five, 25 employees. And I'm thinking, right. oh, no, I don't want to do that. You have to keep scaling up. So I also quit because it became just too, too much of that, you know. A UCLA grad student, John Pilipchuk, had his first ever show at China Art Objects in 1999. At that point in his life, he was spending most of his time in Chinatown. Yeah, you know, it's funny, it had waves. Um, the first sort of wave was the beginning of the 2000s. By 2002, there was a bunch of galleries. You know, originally there was just like Inmo and Black Dragon and China Art Objects. And then Goldman Tevis opened. And I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. And it just seemed like there were a whole bunch of galleries by 2002. Rent started shooting up. By 2003, everyone moved away. And there were a few galleries that remained. And then it's happened again like it was these waves it wasn't like a super pronounced wave but i remember it being like all of a sudden there's like 15 galleries in chinatown and i think it was the second batch of of gallery openings where dan hoog who had his gallery sort of at the end of the cul-de-sac where we would play football uh, on sometimes on saturdays we would play pick up football in the cul-de-sac and Dave Kordansky had his gallery there and Joel Mesler had the Proust Press, which had moved from the original space that he had had uh, that was actually on Chungking Road. So it was like, it was funny because I mean, recently, and, and Tiff knows who I'm talking about, uh, we have a, have a mutual friend named Tony Fernandez who just passed away last, last um, July, who would do shows of Mr. Banjo at uh, at Joel's gallery, uh, at Diane Proust's gallery. So anyways, we're sitting around sort of looking at old videos that Joel had taken and all these old videos, the things that had happened in Chinatown. 
and like art shows and fashion shows and things like that. And we're sitting around and realizing we used to spend fucking like five days a week in Chinatown, you know, like every day. We didn't have kids. Nobody had kids. So we'd be there at Hop Louis every every night at Hop Louis and, and hanging out like that. And there was a real dialogue going on. And it wasn't always just about the commerce of art. That was part of it. But the more beautiful aspect of it was running into anybody, any other, all these artists during a Saturday afternoon, you know, like weirdly enough, playing Settlers of Catan at China Art Objects on the second floor. And there was a real, I felt like there was a real community early on, much stronger than it sort of evolved. But, you know, that was where we hung out. That was where life happened. I look back so fondly at that. I don't want to say naivete, naivete, but the, the, the youthful exuberance of what we were doing back then and how nobody expected to have any sort of success in any way whatsoever. We were all just fucking doing stuff, you know, and that to me is what art is all about. It was, it, yeah, I, I definitely feel nostalgic for it, for the camaraderie and, and the community that, that existed there. And, and how connected was UCLA and Chinatown at that time, at least for you? Well, I mean, because Roger Herman had the Black Dragon Gallery, I remember prior to even doing a show at China Art Objects, uh, I sat at the Black Dragon on four Saturdays in a row when he had had a show of uh, the Kipper Brothers show. Um, and, you know, him and Hubert Schmelix were, you know, almost like the at that point, really early on, like the ambassadors or the governors of Chinatown, I felt like there was a strong UCLA connection because of, of Roger and, and that guy's completely overwhelming connection to everybody in the LA art world at all. You know, he's kind of the grandfather of everybody. What is the piece that you have in the Via Cafe show? So I started making bronzes. I was just sort of futzing around in the backyard with things and kind of making these little bronze works. Um, and so the work that came out of that was this little bronze box that was snorting some cocaine, but doesn't have any nose holes. And I believe I titled it, uh, Keep the Dream Alive 2020. So it's just a small indicator of what everyone's going through, I suppose. Rafi Kalandarian was an undergrad at UCLA when he was included in a summer group show at Black Dragon Society. Even though he grew up in Los Angeles, being part of that art scene helped him find a foothold. So at UCLA, it was the time that I was there, it was amazing. It was like this beautiful, weird microcosm. And then um, Chinatown for me was, it was almost like that was the next microcosm, you know? So I finished school and even before finishing school, I would go to these openings and stuff. And it was kind of like you get funneled into this little world and then you start meeting the like USC kids and the CalArt kids. And I don't know, I just felt like that was this, this concentrated area where there were these young galleries and young artists and everybody would go to the same openings and then you'd see people at the bars. And it was just like LA is so big and sprawling so it was like one of these things that made LA small. You could just like go to this little thing and you'd see like 
a hundred people that you knew and you're like hey and you'd make new friends and have these weird nights and just be like whoa cool for me chinatown was like this beautiful thing that i was like oh this is just how it's going to be forever and then when it was over you're like well that was an end of an era you know so i haven't found anything exactly like it ever since because it's like kordansky and dan hugh and china art objects like there were so many weird people who were all together in the same spot who like later on went out to have these like interesting careers and lives and it's like there was just so much talent and ambition and weirdness in one little spot at the same moment and it was just awesome around the time of the great recession the scene dissipated with china art objects and other galleries relocating to culver city it's great to think now i guess it's like 15 years later about how this strange little place could breed all of these like serious like careers for people you know to me that is really exciting to think that like there was this like genesis in this small area where there was just like a lot of creativity happening Siegfrieds and Little both live in small towns and have had some practice with maintaining socially distant friendships Little moved to Alamosa Colorado about a decade ago I usually spend like several months out of the year in LA and I go out fairly frequently. Now I just sort of maintain all of those artistic connections, but it gives me a little bit more space and time to make work and stuff like that, to be sort of outside of that social scene. I think I got a little bit jaded when I was living there. So I wanted to like uh, have a little bit more of a minimal life and just dip in and out of the art world. Curating the Via Cafe group show was a chance to reconnect with friends they'd made during their college years. Well, I guess the Chinatown scene was really like formative for me when I was a young person. And it just seemed like, you know, that sort of like social community doesn't really exist right now because of COVID. You can't really go out and participate in that way and engage. So it just seemed nice if all the artworks were sort of like a stand-in for us as a community. It's like a nice romantic idea to like see your work hanging with all of your friends and mentors and peers after like a decade, you know, when no one can really socialize now anyway. COVID-19 has forced many businesses to switch to an online-only retail model. So Siegfried says having a brick-and-mortar gallery in somewhere like Comer, Georgia, doesn't seem like such an odd choice. Many of her collectors buy work without ever seeing it in person. I guess the, the obvious difficulty in moving to a place where there's no real art world, so to speak of, is that there's not a whole lot of art commerce happening in Athens. But it, these days, it doesn't matter as much as it would have 10 years ago because people are pretty used to buying things from images that you send them in an email. So. Oh, so in some ways it doesn't matter too much where the gallery is because a lot of the shopping happens online. Technically, yeah. I, I mean, I do think it matters that galleries are in proximity to, you know, artists and people who will appreciate looking at the work. But um, yeah, I also kind of had this idea, maybe it was also after the election in 2016, when there was sort of just this feeling that everything was too condensed in certain pockets anyways, including art and culture, and that like, it could benefit everybody to spread out a little bit. And I have to say that said, it was very exciting to be here during this last election when Georgia flipped. 
Did most of your relationships with artists, though, continue after you moved from Hollywood to Georgia? Yeah, most of them have. I represent almost the same list of artists and a few new people as well. Um, and that's been a fun part of having the gallery here, actually, is having the artists come out for their shows because most people haven't been to Athens. And it's also sort of created this interesting situation where there's artists who I won't necessarily work with or, or don't because they already have substantial gallery relationships, but who want to do shows here just because they like the music scene in Athens or there's something about Athens that's appealing to them. And Athens is kind of famous for its music scene, right? You've got like bands like R.E.M. and the B-52s. And then yeah. there's the whole like Elephant Six collective, so like Neutral Milk Hotel, those kind of bands. Definitely. And it, and it still feels like a place that's very hospitable to like young creative people who don't have a lot of money, you know? So it's like it, Athens, I mean, I think there's a few other kind of places like this in the South, like in Chapel Hill, where all the creative young people from the region sort of flock to um, because there's like cheaper housing and, you know, it's kind of this unique little town that you, you feel like you could sustain yourself in somehow as a creative person. So there's really this like condensation of like young, excited, creative energy. And it, it is really nice to be around somehow. It's, it's a definitely a different landscape than LA or, or how I felt LA was like changing. somehow. Would you recommend that artists or gallerists do something like what you did? Maybe people who are struggling with the cost of living in LA to move out somewhere small and, you know, continue their work somewhere more yeah. affordable. We've been trying to get more and more people to move here since, you know, we've moved. A lot of people come visit or especially when COVID starts, so many people are like, maybe we're going to move to Athens or, or people are always sending me the same houses that they look at on Zillow to buy. Um, but I, I do think that it's a bit easier to make it work if you have established something for yourself outside of here as an artist first, but I think it's a bit of an easier way of life. And it does just feel like there's like so much more that you can do somehow because there's more time, there is more space and everything is quite simply a lot less expensive. So. Well, it's interesting, right? There's two different sort of seemingly contradictory ideas. There's one that the art world is, global and many galleries are online, you know, so you can have right. a purely virtual gallery and, you know, freeze New right. York is now allowing only virtual galleries to be shown there. Right. So, so location seems to mean less. On the other hand, like via cafe is an example of the kind of relationships that you build when you yeah. are in a physical space and you're around artists and you make those friendships. Yeah. And there, there really is that dichotomy and I go back and forth in my own mind about it all the time too. I think that before, before the pandemic started, I was going back and forth to LA quite a bit. And I don't teach at the University of Georgia anymore, but for a few years I was teaching in the art school at UGA and I actually brought students to LA to visit galleries and artist studios. And through their eyes, I could see that like, it is so important to have that period in your life. And it makes the most sense to do it when you're really young because you can live in whatever condition, you know, as you get older, maybe your standards of living change a bit. But I do think that that time that I had in LA was like immensely valuable to me in terms of my development, but also developing these relationships that you hang on to forever, really. Um, and relationships are so important 
in any world, but I think in the art world, because they're not just a thing for like career advancement, like they might be in other fields, but they're like generative in terms of like ideas. And, and so the thing that I could imagine would be the most difficult for a young artist moving here is that you might not have the same access to like really great studio visits as you would in LA or New York. Um, you know, a, a lot of things are just a bit more limited. Um, so really the ideal lands somewhere in between the two or, or having access to both kinds of places. Yeah. yeah. Or having your gallery in, in Georgia, but being able to fly back and forth to see artists, to visit their studios, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And to like maintain relationships I have with like collectors and art advisors and things there not being able to travel has sometimes made me rethink the situation here. But I think once, once things are more fluid, it'll all make sense to me again. But actually having this show has like been so great and fun and um, like a positive experience that it's a few people have actually said, like, even just having my art travel there makes me feel good because I can't go anywhere right now. Even with about three dozen artists, Via Cafe only begins to scratch the surface of that decade. Little hopes the show will inspire a larger retrospective of the artists from that era and that it will be shown in Los Angeles. Yeah, it makes like so much more sense if it was in L.A. I would really like that, and I think everyone in the show would. But I mean, I, I guess with like COVID, it just seems like space and time and everything and exhibitions and online versus in real life, all of that sort of like muddled and confusing to an extent where like the context is always shifting and it's sort of like, I'm not sure how much those things matter. It, like right now in this year, you know, like where something is or like how you view it, it's like, so in flux at the moment that um, I think it makes sense for the time that it's in Georgia. <laughs> Jasmine Little's solo show, Sphinx Riddle, is on view alongside Via Cafe at Tiff Siegfried's in Comer, Georgia through February 27th. It's open Saturdays and by appointment and masks are required. You heard today from Tiff Siegfrieds, Jasmine Little, Rafi Kalandarian, John Pilipchik, and Roger Herman. See images from the show at arts.ucla.edu. Works in Progress is a podcast of the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. 